0: The following audio is from Solid Rock Community Church. More information about Solid Rock Community Church is available at www.solidrockcommunitychurch.com. Well, hey, we're wrapping up a uh, little series that we've been in for the last few weeks. And I want to talk to you about something this morning that every single one of us sitting in this auditorium this morning, we all have in common, and this is not a religious thing, not a, a Christian thing. It's not a you know, non-Christian thing. It's just sort of a thing thing. Okay, is a, uh, a human thing. All, we all have this in common. Our worst decisions, my worst decisions for sure, but our worst decisions were fueled by something with strong emotional appeal. Well, that's kind of a breakthrough thought, right? <clears throat> strong emotional appeal. But your worst decision... My worst decision, uh, you know, that weekend, that first marriage, that purchase, uh, that lease, whatever it was, the reason you made that decision, the reason that I made that decision or that series of decision, you know, whatever it was that caused me to decide, had strong emotional appeal. In fact, it was so appealing, I bought it. It was so appealing, I ate it. It was so appealing I leased it. It was so appealing I dated it. It was so appealing not only did you date it, you, you, know, you, started, you moved in with it. Uh, it. It was so appealing that you took it. It was so appealing that you smoked it. It was so appealing. I mean, I could just go on and on and on, right, when it comes to things that are appealing. The, the reason you have regrets, the reasons we look back on that and go, oh, my gosh, what in the world was I thinking, was because there was something on the path that had strong emotional appeal, right? Right? And then something very strange happened. It lost its appeal. And then for some of you, if you're honest, um, and think about, just think about this for just a second. It lost its appeal. In fact, for some of you You don't even know where it is anymore. In fact, you couldn't wait to sell that thing. You couldn't wait to get out of debt. You couldn't wait to get out of that lease. You couldn't wait for her to leave. You couldn't wait for him to leave. And it was like, what was I thinking? Because it was so appealing at the moment, and then it lost its appeal. And again, for some of you, if you're honest, and today is going to be a little bit heavy, so you know, buckle up. For some of you, what began as appealing over time became a prison. What, what started off as just sort of a pastime, you discovered, uh-oh, it's a pathway. And now I can't get off the path. And what began as appealing became a prison for you. It turned out it was actually poison for you. And now you have a habit you can't break. Or now you have an addiction that you're struggling with. And so, I got an idea. I tell you what. Let's just not do that anymore. Okay? Let's just not do that anymore. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Shortest sermon in the history of Solid Rock. Don't you wish it were that easy? Don't you wish it was that easy? But it's a common experience for all of us. The things that get our attention The things that we regret, there's there's something always emotionally appealing. so what I want to do this morning is I want to go back and I want to talk specifically about some things with strong emotional appeal. And here's why. And again, this is what we all have in common. The path or, or the path to be avoided is always paved with strong emotional appeal. There's no way to avoid this. It's it's just something that's a reality that we all face, that we're all challenged with. That the path to be avoided, you know, whether it's a financial path, a relational path, you know, relational path, you know, whatever it might be, it's always paved with strong emotional appeal. I mean, think about this. We'll put a list up there: newer, faster, bigger, 25% return. You know, it's like, honey, oh my gosh, it's guaranteed. And she's like, no, oh, that's our college money. You know, that's that's the you know, our, our kids' future. That that's what we're saving up vacation for. And they're like, yeah, I know, but honey, it's guaranteed 25%. And so suddenly there's there's conflict, you know, 25% return, romance, desire, acceptance, attention, uh, adventure. You know, the wrong paths are always paved with one or more of what you see on that list or one or more of those things, and especially the security thing. The security thing's a, a little bit tricky. It's like, well, do you really love her? Well, she's got a really good job. She makes really good money. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I know, but do you love her? Do you love him? Well, you know, just look at me, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting any younger, right? And, and just to be clear, you know, these things aren't bad. In fact, these things are all good. These things aren't bad. These things just aren't enough. These things are, you know, they're not wrong. These things just aren't enough when it comes to making decisions in life and choosing the pathways that we choose because shiny things and appealing things do two things to every single one of us sitting in this auditorium this morning. They lower our defenses, and they raise our defensiveness. And friends come along, and boyfriends come along, and spouses come along, and they're like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. Do do you not know where this is going?" Do you not realize, you know, where this is headed? And we won't listen. In fact, we can't listen, and here's why. Because confirmation bias kicks in. Interesting term. You you know what confirmation bias is, right? Confirmation bias is I see what I want to see, and I hear what I want to hear. And any information that confirms, you know, what I want to do, I see. And any uh, uh, information that is contrary to that, then it's hard for me to see and it's hard for me to hear when when confirmation bias kicks in and we get locked in emotionally on something or you know our IQ actually drops did you know that It actually does. You know how I know that? Because every one of you sitting here, me included, all of us sitting here in this room this morning, we've all looked back on a decision that we've made at some point in our past, and you said this. These are your words. These are are not my words. You You either said this to yourself, or maybe you said this out loud. How could I have been so? What? Yeah, yeah. Your IQ dropped. You're like, no, 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 I didn't. Yeah, yeah, I did. You admitted it. How could I have been so? so but I've got some good news, okay? I've got some really positive news. You, you're not stupid, but when you get, you know, fascinated with something that's fascinated, and when you get locked in, you know, emotionally on, on something or someone, well, you know, you, you said it. You said it, okay. So anyway, so not only does your IQ drop, you know what else drops, and, and this is a term that I remember back in the years from when I was in uh, you know, the uh, marketplace before I moved into full-time ministry, this, this idea of emotional quotient. So your EIQ, it just all but disappears, and I want to talk about this emotional uh, quotient for just a second. I've had, learned about this term for the last couple of decades, and then we'll go on, but I just want to talk about it for a second. If you're in an ongoing conversation with someone, and this is someone that you know that in your heart, it's someone that you know has your best interest at at heart, you know, this may be a friend that you've had since high school, or maybe this is your mom, you know, you know your mom has your best interests in mind, or it's an older brother, or it's a, you know, a younger sister, it's somebody at work, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a coach, but it's somebody that you know in your heart, you know that they have your best interests you know, in mind. But if, if you're in an on, ongoing conversation with that person, and whenever a specific topic comes up, and you get really, really defensive You need to pay attention to that. And and granted, maybe they're not approaching it, you know, in the right way. And the reason I say that is because that's sort of how we get out of these conversations. Because, you know, we don't want to hear it. Well, I just don't like their attitude. Well, granted, you know, they have a terrible attitude. Well, they just don't have all the information. Granted, they don't have all the information. They, They just don't see it the way I see it. Granted, you know, they don't see it the way you see it. I mean, they haven't even met him. They haven't even met her. Granted, all that for sure. But if when that topic comes up, you become, you know, you know, unusually defensive, you need to pay attention to what's going on inside of you. And please, 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 please do not use their lack of information or their odd attitude or their, you know, incorrect approach as an excuse To miss something on your path that you cannot see, but they can see. Don't use that as an excuse because if you're distracted by what's on the path, you will be distracted from where the path is taking you and they have an advantage they're not emotionally involved with it him her they you know they they're not emotionally involved and again if you're distracted by what's on the path you will be tempted to opt for appealing over satisfying which isn't satisfying and we've all lived long enough to know this now here's the amazing thing and maybe not so amazing if you're a christian maybe really amazing if you're not a christian but the apostle paul who wrote so much of our New Testament he actually talked about this, but he talked about it in different terms and so I want to I want to take his terms you know they're not our terms but I want to read to you what he said and then sort of put it into our terminology so that we can better understand this because what he says is so powerful but I want us to, to look at what the Apostle Paul says and then I want to explain this as we go along this is so Amazing. Here's what he says. He says, you, talking to Christians, and again, if you're not a Christian, okay, I get that. You can pick and choose what you want to you know, listen to or not listen to, or what you like or don't like, or what you want to do or don't want to do. You know, I, I get that. And just to let you know, we have, and I have specifically, me, I have specifically no right in the world, if you're not a Christian, I have no right in the world to tell you what to do. And I I get that, okay, because we have a different worldview. We have a different belief system. I understand that. So I'm not telling you what you should do, but I am inviting you in on a conversation that's taking place between Christians. And I really believe, if you just hang with me, I think you're really going to like part of this. So here's what Paul says. He says, to you, my brothers and sisters, again, talking to believers, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Which, which is really amazing, because here's the deal. If, if your version of Christianity is not liberating, you have the wrong version. If you were raised on a version of Christianity like I was, until I was like in my you know, late, you know, almost into my early 20s. If you were raised on a version of Christianity like I grew up in that was not liberating, you were raised on the wrong version. And I would just like to invite you back because Paul says this. He said, you were called to be free, but do not use this freedom that you have to indulge the flesh. It's kind of a, you know, Bible term, the, the, the word flesh. And all he's talking about, all Paul is talking about here is something that you and I experience every single day. Listen to me. That your appetite, you know, what you see and what you hear and what you taste and what you touch... You know, and, and what you see and taste and hear and touch, that elicits desire inside of you, something we all experience. And Paul says, Look, I'm telling you, he says, don't allow that dynamic, don't feed that dynamic to the point that it gets you in trouble. He's saying, Don't say yes to every impulse. And here's why, and you know this, you, you know this. If you say yes, to, and let's just use his term, okay? You know, to every you know, fleshly impulse, he says you lose your freedom. If you say yes to every temptation that elicits some desire, you know, that's elicited you know, in you because of what you see, hear, you know, taste and touch, you don't gain freedom, you lose freedom. And not only that, and here's the worst part and he's going to get to this, not only do you, listen to me, not only do you lose your freedom, but you infringe on someone else's freedom. Not only do you hurt you, you hurt someone else. And at the epicenter of the New Testament ethic, what Christianity is all about, ultimately, you know, relationally, is how you treat other people. So Paul says, look, yeah, you're free. But don't use your freedom to hurt you. And don't use your freedom to hurt anyone else. He says, rather, and here's the contrast. I mean, here's what you're really supposed to do with your freedom. He says, rather, serve one another humbly in love. That is, leverage your freedom for the sake of others. And here's a promise. And some of you have lived long enough to know this. And some of you are going to figure this out. I I just hope it isn't too late. You don't figure it out too late. And that's that leveraging your freedom for the benefit of other people leads to a very, very satisfying life. And leveraging your freedom to the neglect of other people leads to a very, very dissatisfying life. And Christianity is an imitation to freedom and satisfaction. And then Paul goes on. Paul takes a play from Jesus' playbook because Paul knew Peter, and Paul knew John. And, and, and Jesus, remember, revealed himself to the apostle Paul on the Damascus Road. That's why we call it the Damascus Road experience, or, you know, I saw the light. You know, that all came from that experience with Paul. And he says this, quoting Jesus. He says, for, and this is an amazing statement. He says, for or because the entire law, and he's talking about two things here. I think I think he's talking about the Jewish law, which is like, Uh, 613 different commandments. The entire Jewish law, and I just think because of context, he's talking about uh, law in general... For the entire law, the entire rule book, for anything you would want your kids to do, anything you hope your husband does and you hope your wife you know doesn't do, you know all of that he says, "For the entire law is actually fulfilled in keeping this and I want us all to say this next word out loud together. OK? This is amazing. Keeping this. One. How many? One. One? Will you shout that out? One, One more time. One. 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 This is what I discovered. When I left the denomination, I came out of with rules and rituals and dress codes, and I mean, it just, I mean, there were so many. This is why Christianity, true Christianity, is absolutely liberating. He says the law, the entire law, any law, any rule that you come up with is actually fulfilled with one rule, the one commandment. You don't even need the whole tablet. You just need like a, you know, a three-by-five card. That's all you need, the one commandment. And it's like, really? Yeah. It's all fulfilled with this one commandment. And here it is. You guys have heard this before. Somebody give me a drum roll. There we go. Okay. Oh, ooh, that was good. <laughs> you play the drums? Okay. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the New Testament ethic. Right there. Get this right, you don't need everything else. Embrace this as a lifestyle, you don't really need everything else. And if you get this right, come on, if you get this right, if this becomes the driving ethic of your life, you just tend to know what to do. You just do. In other words, if it infringes on their freedom, I'm not going to do it. If it's not good for her, I'm not gonna do it. If it's not good for them, it's a sin. If it's not good for him, it's a sin. So, well, how do you know what sin is? Well, how does it affect them? If it negatively affects them, if it infringes on their freedom, if it sets them up for problems in the future, if it undermines their future, their success, their uh, future relational success, then absolutely not. Because I'm not going to use my freedom to infringe on theirs. And I don't need a verse. And I don't need a quote, and I don't have to remember everything my parents said. I mean, I don't remember half of, you know, what they said anyway half the time. But love my neighbor as myself. And then, of course, Jesus, you know, I mean, he took it to a whole new level at the end of his ministry. Remember he said this? I mean, it's, it's so much bigger, Jesus would say, than that. Jesus said, you know what? You're to love each other the way that I have loved you. I mean, that takes it to a whole new level. Paul goes on. He says, so... I say, walk by the Spirit, which sounds kind of strange, kind of like, you know, you know, strange music in the background sort of seems a little bit intangible. I mean, do I look up? I mean, is something spooky going on, that kind of thing? Paul's like, no, it's very simple. Paul's like, it, it just simply means to live and walk in sync with the internal nudgings of your heavenly Father through his Holy Spirit. In other words, God God will always, always, always nudge you towards others' firstness. God will always, always, always nudge you towards sacrificing for the sake of other people. God will always nudge you towards never, ever, ever, ever infringing on their freedom and sacrificing yours instead. And the outcome, he says, is this. And he says, if you will give in, to this internal nudging of God's Holy Spirit in you, you will not gratify or say yes to the desires of the flesh. And maybe a better translation for us is you will not fulfill selfish desires or you will not follow through on selfish desires. I mean, you see shiny things or you see appealing things and you will not act on what you, what you see. You will not act on what you hear or you will not act on what you touch. You will not act on what you taste because you've decided to say yes instead to the internal promptings of the Holy Spirit that always puts other people's future first. You will be far less susceptible to the emotional appealing things on the path that crisscross your path. And he's not done. I mean, he's so good. He's so thorough. For, he says, let me, let me explain this a little bit further. For the flesh, and we, we've explained that. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And again, this is a human thing, okay? This, this is the New Testament version of what you experience every single day. I mean, there's this war within, right? There's, there's this, this conflict within, I mean, I know what I ought to do. I know what I want to do. And isn't it interesting that ought to and want to are in conflict? Isn't it interesting that there's an internal law inside of you that conflicts with the bodily and fleshly, to, to use his term, desires? Why is that? I mean, it seems like they would be in sync. It seems like that I should want to do what I ought to do. But if you always did, what you ought to do instead of what you wanted to do? There'd be no desserts on the menu, right? Because nobody would order it. I mean, there would be all kinds of things in the world that wouldn't even exist because I always did, you know, what I ought to do. But there's this battle. Now, again, you know, if you're not a Christian, you're not a religious person, or maybe you're from a different religion, I hope you have an explanation for that battle that's going on within you. Because you experienced that battle. You you should have an explanation for that. The New Testament says that there is a law, there, there is a law in our hearts written by God because you've been made in the image of God. And it's in conflict with, oftentimes, with what has strong emotional appeal. Paul says, and here's the word that he uses, conflict. He says they are actually in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Or desire, you're not to embrace or chase everything that's appealing. Which means, and I I hope you know this, but let me just state it in terms that we can sort of get our hearts and heads around. Strong emotional appeal, even though it's a part of the goodness of life when when it's in its proper context. But strong emotional appeal is actually a red flag, not a green flag. In other words, when it's something emotionally appealing, whenever you have that, instead of leaning in immediately, we should step back immediately and say, you know what, time out, time out. You know what, this may be a great thing. She may be the one. He may be the one. I mean, this, this may be the job. This, this may be a good, you know, Investment. This, this may be the time to lease a car. This may be the time to move. I mean, this may. I mean, it might, it may, it might, it may, it might. But you know what? There is such strong emotional appeal. I'm just going to be wise enough to step back because it's a red light, not necessarily a green light. It's a red flag, not necessarily a go sign. He says, but, and now he's coming back to those of us who are Christians. He says, but if you're led by the Spirit, and again, this isn't strange or, you know, some of the things that I saw in my past. You know what this is? This is just simply paying attention to that internal nudge that God's. you know, he's going to kind of, you know, nudge, you know, your conscience. He's not going to yell. He's not going to scream. You know, he's, you know, he's not going to do any of that. It's a still, I believe, small voice. In fact, it's more like a, <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> Was that you, honey? Nope. Was that you, Deb? Nope. No, that's, that, that was just inside of you. And see, here's the thing. It will always nudge you, and it will always nudge me toward reigning in my freedom for the sake of other people. Paul said, you are to be led by the Spirit. And if you do, you are not under the law which is an amazing statement, and here's why. Because the reason you're not under the law is because Jesus has given you one command, and when you live by the one command, you are no longer accountable to it. In fact, you don't even need the law. If you submit to that, Jesus' is one command, and you can take either version you want, you know, love your neighbor as yourself or the bigger, grander one, where Jesus said, you know, you're, you love other people like I loved you. He says, if you embrace that as a lifestyle, if that becomes the marching orders of your every single day of life, you know, the way you uh, parent, the way you relate to people, the way you do school, morality, dating, you know, if that becomes your marching orders, if you embrace that, then you will instinctively know what to do. You will instinctively know which path to choose. You will instinctively know which paths to avoid. Because Jesus' One command always brings us back to this one terrifying but clarifying question. And it's this question. We've talked about this before. What does love require of me? What does other firstness require of me? What does uh, other selflessness require of me? What does lay down my life for my friend require of me? Well, if it's not good for him, it's a sin. If it's not good for her, then defer. Defer. If it's not good for us, why in the world would I do it? You know, if I have to hide it, if I hope they never find out, what's love required of me? It's appealing. It's so appealing. But does this run the risk of undermining our relationship? It's appealing, but does this set us up for conflict later? It's appealing. It's so appealing, but why is it I hope my children never find out about it? And he goes on as if he hadn't said enough, right? He says, okay, let me just be clear. And then he basically is about to tell us. He's going to say, look, I'm going to tell you something you probably don't need to know because you already know it, but he tells us anyway. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Selfishness is obvious. Nobody needs to give you a list of what it looks like to be self-centered, right? Nobody needs to give you a list of all the things that distract you from the things that you should do right? In fact, he, he, he gives us a list anyway. I guess maybe he thought in case we didn't know, but here's the interesting thing about his list, and I'm not going to, we're not going to look at the list, okay? We're not going to do that. I mean, if we were in like a smaller group and well over at Starbucks and maybe sitting around the table or maybe we we're sitting in somebody's kitchen table, we might, you know, uh, I, I might say, hey, I tell you what, As as an exercise, I tell you what, let's all together, while we're sitting around the table, uh, if I were to say, okay, let's list all the things that are expressions of selfishness Let's list all of the things that are expressions that, you know, undermine other people's freedom and take away other people's future that temporarily satisfy, you know, my desire and hurt people later and ultimately, you know, hurt myself. Hey, let's just make a list of those things. You know what would happen? We would come up with virtually all of us an identical list. The same thing that the Apostle Paul listed 2,000 years ago because you haven't changed and I haven't changed. So I'm not going to show you the list, but I am going to show you three things on that list. And this is going to be a little tough for some of you, but you know what? Uh, Only the people that love you tell you hard things. Just turn to your neighbor and say, pastor loves you. Okay. Will you do that? (laughs) Only the people that love you tell you hard things. Besides, I get to get in my car and go home afterwards. Okay. So Anyway, okay. This is really important. This, this is a, I, I believe this is a life-changing message for somebody today. Maybe some somebodies. Because somebody's already tried to point out to you what I'm about to point out. And you have just had such tunnel vision. And you have just given in to hearing what you want to hear and, what, and seeing what you want to see. So the Apostle Paul says, okay, let me, in case you missed it, let me, let me tell you what following the flesh looks like as opposed to saying yes to the the spirit god spirit in you and he gives us a list and i just want to show you three here they are sexual immorality selfish ambition and envy and again if you're if you're not a christian maybe one of the reasons you left the church is because of that first one on the list Because you're like, you know what, Dave? That's the problem. Christians are always trying to climb up in everybody's bedroom and tell them how to conduct themselves sexually. And it's none of your business. And I have some great news for you. The Apostle Paul, who wrote over half of our New Testament, who gave us this literature, the Apostle Paul, check this out, the Apostle Paul, in another letter, that he wrote to Christians, he, he asked a question that you think we should ask. He, he asked the question uh, this way in, in another letter. Here's what he said. I won't show you the, the verse, but here, here's what he said. He said, what business is it of mine? Talking about himself as a Christian, you know, in the church. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? To which you, if you're not a Christian, you would say, well, it's none of your you know, fill-in-the-blank business. And the Apostle Paul would come back, and he would say, you know what? You're exactly right. It's none of my business. It's none of our business to tell you how to conduct your sexual life or your morality. It's none of our business. Paul, the great Apostle Paul, would agree with that. So when Paul talks about sexual immorality, he's not t- trying to tell everybody, you know, how, you know, what to do in the world, what to do. He's trying to answer this question right here. Here's the question he's trying to, an- he's trying to answer when it comes to sexual immorality or just sexual in, in general. What does it look like for a Jesus follower? When it comes to sex, what does it look like? For a Jesus follower? What does it look like for someone who has decided, I'm going to embrace others' firstness? What does it look like for a man or a woman who, to decide, you know what? I don't want anything that undermines my freedom, and I don't want to do anything that undermines your freedom. I don't want to do anything that undermines my future relationships, and I don't want to do anything that undermines your future relationships. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be mastered by anything or anyone. And I don't want you to be mastered by anything or anyone. That is the essence of the New Testament sexual ethic. And so, of course, he's going to talk about sex. I mean, come on. Come on. When someone comes to see a pastor... Or someone comes to see a counselor, you know, in private, you know, just all by themselves, and they sit down and they sort of have that look of remorse and regret and, you know, shame, you know, on their face. And they whisper and they can barely say it out loud, pastor, counselor, whatever. I want to tell you something I've never told anybody else before. Rarely is it about a parking ticket. Pastor, I just got to tell you, I didn't claim everything on my expense report. No, no, no. 95%, maybe even higher of the time. It's something sexual. Because Paul knew what you know, what I know. But we all know that when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to the expression of sex and sexuality, nothing, nothing, nothing has the potential to undermine your future and other people's future. Nothing has the potential to complicate your life. Nothing has the potential to complicate other people's life like sexual activity. So, of course, your Heavenly Father has an opinion on this because if God really loves you, I mean, if he does, I mean, is he going to stay silent on a topic that has the potential to make your life amazing? And at the same time, make your life, in some, some cases, unbearable? Of course he's going to talk about it. So the Apostle Paul says, look, I'm telling you, you know, it hasn't changed much from the first century. And he's just saying, and here's the message for us. I mean, if you're an adult, and if you have a job, if you're out in the marketplace working, if you're a student in high school, every, just about every single day of your life and of my life, there is going to be a path with strong emotional, sexual appeal. It's part of life. But what's appealing It's distracting. It's not a green light. It's a red light. It's a red flag that most of us have lived long enough to know we wish we would have paid attention to it earlier. I can't tell you the marriages that are just strong along the landscape over this one thing right here. And most of us have lived long enough to know that we wish we would have paid attention. so of course, of course the New Testament, and of course, the Apostle Paul specifically, is going to put this on his list. It's not because he's against you, he's for you. And besides, my hunch is, if, if all of us you know, or could go back and erase an event or a weekend or a week or you know a season of life for most of us, it would have something to do with how we express or mismanage our sexuality. So, of course, God mentions it. He loves you. And it's, have you noticed this? It's very emotionally appealing. You need to say amen on that. Thank God, right? Right? Okay. Selfish ambition, same thing. I'm going to get ahead. I know it's not legal. Hope my boss doesn't find out. Hope the president of the company doesn't find out. Hope my wife doesn't find out. Hope my husband doesn't find out. Hope my parents, oh my gosh, I hope they don't find out. Of course it's appealing. Envy. Man, I'm gonna, I am so jealous of my brother. I'm so jealous of my brother-in-law. I want what they have, and man, I don't care. Whatever it takes, I'm going to get it, and then I'll be appealing, and it's so appealing to me because then they'll look at me, and they'll have respect for me, and they might even want to be like me. Envy. Envy is trying to catch up with somebody that doesn't even know you're trying to catch up with them. That's what's so crazy about envy. I made it, and they didn't even notice. Did you notice? No. What? You didn't even notice? I broke the law. I emptied my bank account, and you didn't even notice? No. No. Didn't even know what you were doing. What, What are we even talking about? I don't even know what we're talking about. It was just crazy. Why? Because there's just something. We just get so locked in emotionally. Strong, emotional feel. And what he says next is so disturbing. And I'm not going to try to resolve it. And I know you might you know, be upset a little bit. But I, I just, we don't have enough time. But what he says next is so disturbing and, um, I mean, it'd be easy to just go right over this, but let's just, let's just keep going. Been easy so far, right? Right? He says this. He said, I got to be honest. I warn you, because remember, you know, he's been to Galatia, okay? I mean, they've heard him say all this. This is just a, a letter reminding them of what he said when he was with them earlier. So there's a lot more detail. He said, I warn you, and this is in the letter, I warn you, as I did before, this is not the first time you've heard me say this. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, those who make it a, a lifestyle of chasing what's appealing to the neglect of how it affects other people, the, the person that, that, that chases what's appealing to the neglect of how it undermines their own future, you know, their own conscience, their own mind, their own heart, their own future, For the person, he says, who consistently neglects and ignores the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. God's prompting, God's talking, God's prompting, God's talking. He says, to the person who ignores that, to the person who lives like that, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what's he saying? You know what he's saying? He's saying there is loss There's not simply the consequence of sin. There's loss. You'll never experience the kingdom of God in this life. And he he goes on to explain what that looks like in a minute. He says, you're not going to experience the kingdom of God. In this life. You're not going to experience the kingdom of God in your marriage. You're not going to experience the kingdom of God in your finances. You're not going to experience the kingdom of God in your relationships, your conscience. You're not going to experience the kingdom of God in this life. And you're not going to inherit, and this generally looks at the life to come. You're going to miss out on something in the life to come. A lot of people believe that what he's talking about here is he's saying that you're not going to go to heaven. I personally, my observation, this is just me, I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think if he meant you weren't going to go to heaven, he would have said, you're not going to go to heaven. I just don't think that's what he's talking about. And again, that's just my interpretation. Some people believe that. I think the Apostle Paul is pointing to something Else. And I'm not going to tell you what I think he's pointing to, but I will tell you this much. Listen to me. If you never sense anything in your conscience, when you do something that benefits you short-term and hurts somebody long-term, if you're just able to chase all the emotional, appealing things, shiny things, and it's never a matter of conscience, it doesn't even bother you, if you never sense a divide perhaps between what God wants for you and what you know you ought to do, you should wonder. You you should be a little worried. You should look up or you should, as the Bible says, repent. Repent. Or maybe to use this terminology, you should begin living in a different direction. You should begin the direction of yes to God's prompting within you. Living in the direction of yes to when God is nudging you to go in a different direction. It's time to opt for satisfying over appealing, which is far more satisfying. How satisfying you say? Well, Paul tells us. Paul says, let me tell you what it looks like. And and again, if you're not a Christian, here's the invitation. Okay, here's the carrot on the stick. Here's the try it, you'll like it. Here's the promise. Here's the liberty. This is the part that maybe they didn't tell you in the church that you grew up in. But the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, the outcome of saying yes to God, the outcome of saying yes to that internal nudge is exactly what you're after in this life. It's love joy, peace, patience, kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and it's self-control. See, single people, it's who you want to become. It's who you want to marry. It's what God's invited you into. And then he says this. This is so amazing. It's not even a verse. It's just a phrase. Against such, there is no law. And let me tell you why that is so brilliant and so inspired. Here's Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, okay, he's saying, against immorality, against envy, against lust, against jealousy, against all those things, you have to set up laws. You have to set up restrictions. If you don't, you'll self-destruct. If you don't, you're going to be addicted, you know, to all the wrong things. You have to set up all these laws. You have to set up all these rules. But he says, but when you embrace the one command, when you embrace others first, when you embrace, embrace and love God like God through Christ loved you, he says the result is there's no law against this. In, in other words, let me illustrate this way. You, you just have too much peace, Terry. Knock it off. You're just showing way too much peace in life. Could you knock that off, please? That's just too much. Too much peace. you got to knock that off. Quit being so patient. You know what the problem with my wife, Kathy, is? I'm just going to tell everybody in the church what her problem is. You ready? You know the problem with wife? She's just too patient. She's so patient. She needs counseling. (laughs) She's so patient. She's just amazingly patient. Kindest kids in the world. Kids, knock it off in the back seat there. You guys are being too kind to one another. You're just overdoing this kindness thing, okay? So they just knock it off. You know what the problem with my husband is? My husband, he is just so faithful. I trust him all the time. I mean, he takes all these trips. I never worry. He buys me flowers. He buys me cards. He sings to me. He dances. Right, baby? He dances for me. I mean, he's so faithful. Please, somebody pray for us. See, see that, that's the thing. See, this is the beauty. This is the invitation. You can't overdo any of this. You can't you know, have too much self-control. You can't. Paul says, look, I'm telling you, this is the freedom that you've been invited into. You don't need any laws. You don't need any rules. It is so powerful. It's a life of one rule and no regret. It's a life of one rule where you don't create regret. It's a life of one rule where you don't become somebody's regret. Why wouldn't everybody be a Christian? Why would you resist that? Say, well, I've never really heard it presented that way. Well, that's guys like me. That's our fault. That's that's my fault. The best way to predict your future, where you're going to end up, is to pay attention where you're headed. Okay. So let's, come on up. Pay attention. I'm I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not done. the best way to predict where you're going to end up the best way to predict your future pay attention to where you're headed so I want to ask you a really awful question okay and remember only people who love you will ask you these kind of questions and again, if this brings to mind a conversation that you're having with someone, please, please pay attention to that. But here's my, here's my question. Have you become so enamored? Have you become so enamored with something or someone on your path that you have failed to recognize where the path you're on is taking you? Have you become so enamored? It's it's so appealing. It's so appealing. Have you become so enamored with something or someone on your path that you fail to recognize where that path is taking you? Have you lowered your defenses? And have you elevated your defensiveness? And are you willing to change course? Are you willing to change paths, are you willing to begin living in a new direction? Now, I, I know this is kind of heavy today. People are like, well, is there a way back? There is. We talked about the principle. You know, a principle is not something you apply. It applies to you. It's something that's working in the background. And it works for you or against you. Direction, not intention. Intention determines your destination this is why if you change direction things change you know how you get back you sow and reap your way back just like you sowed and reaped your way in but the choice it's a matter of choice the choice is yours and i hope we hope your heavenly father hopes that you will opt for satisfying over appealing that you will begin as a habit of life giving in to that internal nudge of the Holy Spirit, of the God who loves you. We hope, your heavenly Father hopes, that you embrace a life of following Jesus because he will take you exactly where you want to be at the end of the day. As your pastor, I hope that you will engage our church because we want to be his hands and we want to be his feet to help you on the journey. Will you bow your heads with me? I want to pray with you this morning, and then we'll be done. Father God, thank you so much for preserving what we read today. All these thousands of years later, we have it in your word. Some of us have been carrying this around for a long time, and we've missed it. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your nudges. Thank you for our conscience. Thank you for giving us terminology to understand the conflict we struggle with every single day. And thank you for enough life experience to know that it's true. And thank you, Father, for an invitation to a different kind of life. Father, for those of us who are Christians, we need your help this morning. We need some clarity on how to navigate this. For some of us, maybe we need to go home and apologize. For others of us, maybe we need to start the conversations that we know family members would like to start. But we've kind of scared them off. Father, for the person here today who's not sure about the whole faith thing, I pray they would take away something from this. I pray that maybe they would be curious enough to come back and listen, to open their hearts to the fact that maybe, There's a God who has invited them to address him as Father. We pray all of these things in the amazing name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand together with me? Stand together with me. I am so glad that you're here today. Would you do me a favor before you leave today? Would you just turn around to the people around you? Just give them a hug. Or give them a handshake. Tell them you're glad they're here today, will you? Before you rush out, okay? And I'll see you next week.